Welcome to Bollywood is for Lovers. I'm Erin Fraser. And I'm Matt Bose. In this episode, we're going to discuss three Hindi films from first-time feature film directors that played at the Cannes Film Festival in the Uncertain Regards section. Ashim Aluwalia's Miss Lovely from 2012, which centers on a pair of pornographers in 1980s Mumbai. Kanu Bell's Titli from 2014, which focuses on a family of violent carjackers in Delhi. And finally, Niraj Gaiwan's Masan from 2015, which follows the lives of four individuals brought up around the cremation ghats in Varanasi. Well, welcome back, lovers. Welcome back. And uh, a special welcome to a few new, um, you know, spots on our map. Hmm. Uh, since moving to the Audio Boom platform, who we are very happy to be with, we've had listenership from around the globe go up, I think. Mm-hmm, yeah. I've got, a, I've got a list of some cities here that have been uh, downloading us lately, and I, you know, I'm going to fill in on this. Okay. So our top countries right now, right now is Pakistan is number one oh. for listens and downloads and whatnot, followed by India, then Canada, then China. So it's pretty interesting, huh? Yeah, that's very cool. I hope all the people in Pakistan and India who love Bollywood uh, aren't too offended by our Canadian sensibilities, and by that I mean our inability to pronounce anyone's name. Yeah, and hopefully we don't swear too much. But uh, <clears throat> some of the top cities that we're getting downloaded in right now include Rawalpindi, Kolkata, Hangzhou, Islamabad, Lahore, the exotic Mississauga. Ooh, Mississauga. And Mumbai. Hi out there to everyone from Mississauga. Yeah, so... We are, you know, reaching a different audience than we were with our previous podcast uh, system, and I'm pretty happy with Audio Boom so far. Have you ever been to Mississauga? No. Oh, okay. Because you've been to well, some I've of those been, Ontario. I think the, the Toronto airport is technically in Mississauga. Oh. In which case, I have been there, and it was lovely. <laughs> I'm sure it was. It was Miss Lovely. Did you see a lot of Bollywood fans there? Loved it. So you did many. see a bunch of like Bollywood VHSs in the Toronto airport, didn't you? Yeah, maybe that. Maybe that's the mystery right there. At the Toronto airport, I went to this weird restaurant. Roger Mooking's restaurant. Yeah, Roger Mooking's restaurant next to my gate. And there were, among other, you know, sort of world artifacts found all over the restaurant, there were some Salman Khan tapes just piled up in a window. And I tweeted about this, and they got back to me just saying that it reflected the character and the eccentric nature of the restaurant. I was like, wow, I can't really argue with that. That's that's weird, but cool. Well, Salman Khan is an eccentric character. He is. And, um, yeah, I can't say that the burger and fries I had <laughs> at that place was especially eccentric, but, uh, you know, it got the job done. Well, Canada is a is a pretty multicultural country so and we are canadian so i'm not just surprised to see canada high on that list but uh there might be a big indian population in mississauga yeah Who yeah I, I don't know i don't know shouts to mississauga i know just rain is around there you're not quite the six but uh i love you just the same yeah um but you know i welcome all of our listeners from india and pakistan uh you know yeah, as we ha- say all the time matt and i are just amateurs we just got into this we love these films. <laughs> We're happy to meet you guys. So, um, you know, let's, you can hit us up on Twitter mm-hmm. Bolly, at Bollywood Pod if you want to talk and let us know whose name we said wrong <laughs> this week. Yeah. Yeah. We really rely on our listeners to let us know when we're uh, pronouncing things improperly. But on to the topic of this episode. We are looking at three Hindi films that played at cons kind of within the past few years. Um, you know, the Cannes Film Festival, big place for foreign films. Mm-hmm. I think Woody Allen is opening the festival this year with his undoubtedly neurotic man-child problem film that was picked up by Amazon, I believe. I was just listening to another film podcast this morning, <laughs> so I'm up on all the news. But in such a regard, is a kind of special part of the fest, right? Yeah, so the Cannes Film Festival happens every year. Um, this year it's running from May 11th to May 22nd. Um, and it has, it's, it's, it's the biggest and most prestigious international film festival in the world. Yeah, you can get distribution there. If you're, mm-hmm. if you're a smaller film baker, your, uh, your film might get bought by a bigger company. Um, Amazon is there this year as well as Netflix, and they're kind of disrupting everything from the general operations. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and one of the kind of biggest draws of the festival, or the most kind of um, cinephile part of the festival, are these major competitions that they had. Mm-hmm. And so all of these world cinema directors will bring their films to cons. They have to, you know, be selected for competition, and they play, and then awards are handed out. Um, the jury decides. There's a jury for feature films, a jury for short films, and there's different streams. And directors are on the juries, right? Like Quentin yeah. Tarantino has been there before. Yeah, his yeah. year was the uh, Fahrenheit 11 year. Yeah, and wasn't yeah. Uh, Jane Campion's bit? Oh, in David Cronenberg's novel, there's a thing about a fist fight that happened at cons between some directors. Novel kind of sucks, but that was a fun. <laughs> okay, okay. Consumed it. Don't look it. Don't look it up. It's yeah. Bad. So the main competition is for the Palm Door. And that is usually features the golden hand. No, it's like a palm, like a like a like a leaf. The golden leaf. <laughs> yeah, you, you know when you when the when they films open and you see those two like those are palm leaves. Oh, the golden leaves. <laughs> okay. I always thought that that was sort of like the Olympics or something with like a like an well, olive kind branch. Of is, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, I didn't know that's what that actually was. Oh, really? I learned something. Oh, okay. Um, and so the main competition is for the Palm Door, and this usually features kind of films from important, established international directors. So I know that like Verhoeven is showing a film this year. No, um, really. Yeah, it's been a while. It has been a while. <laughs> but Black um, Book was the last one, right? Yeah. Nice. Well, he did like this uh, reality TV thing in his native country of Holland. That sounds lame. Uh, yeah, it apparently wasn't very good. Where like people got to vote, like the public got to vote on what was in the movie, and I don't know. Verhoeven doesn't seem really happy about the whole project. Isn't that what happened in Brave New World? Like you could vote on what happened in the feelies. Mm. Hit me up, English lit students. I don't remember, <laughs> but I think that was something. You like are that. an English lit student. I'm not a student anymore. Now I'm That's old. A good point. Um, and Park Chan Wook, mm-hmm. um, etc. You know all the big names who have new feature films coming out. Um, there is also a parallel competition called Un Certain Regard. And this section uh, features 20 films of original and different works from all over the world from up-and-coming filmmakers. So, so. it's for new people. Exactly. the Palme d'Ors for more established types. I was wondering what the difference was. Exactly, yeah. So well, Xavier Dolan initially was showing his films in yeah. Salton Regard, and now when he brings a film to cons, he is showing the, them in uh, the Palme d'Or competition. Do and you, you get selected. Do you have to be in Salton Regard first? Like, do you have to win that to get to the Palme d'Or level, or what? I don't think so, no. Huh. No, and it was, I mean, it was... Um, the Cannes Film Festival has been around for a very long time, mm-hmm. and they introduced the Instagram God stream to showcase more films, more interesting works from all over the world that were deserving of a higher profile. A little more offbeat stuff than the typical European yeah. art house style that generally dominates. Yeah, and films from less established filmmakers. And so there hasn't been too many films in recent years um, in the main Palme d'Or competition from India. Do you remember the last one? No. Sajjat Ray has shown films there. Hmm, that's cool. Um, I don't remember the last last one. I mean, so many movies get shown at cons yeah. every year. Yeah, it, it's, it's a really, really big festival. And what uh, you know, casual film fans don't really realize is that it's also a market for buying movies. We talked about yeah. this, but if you look at documentaries about... Uh, the one about Golan Globus that I watched... Um, Electric Boogaloo mm-hmm. talked about how they really use cons as a place to sell movies that didn't even exist yet, as was their sort of thing. And also, Troma, they really make a big push to sell their schlocky horror there, too. Yeah, if you know anything about Comic Con, San Diego Comic Con, you have kind of the main show going on. You have the you know the exhibition floor and all the panels and stuff. But that convention is so important to the industry itself because mm-hmm. so much is kind of happening behind the scenes of people making yeah. deals and making connections. Going to bars and setting up movies, different slates, that kind of thing. Yeah, so cons is kind of an equivalent for the global film scene. Now, the mm-hmm. stuff, like the films, the official film screenings, um, tend to be pretty highbrow. And we should say we've but they never... have a midnight thing, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We should say we've never been to cons. Not yet. Anyway. Um, Love to go. Would you? I'm sure our, I'm sure our invite's in the mail. Would you Well, have? we'll get into that probably okay. when we start talking about these films. But I would love to visit the... Uh, 
south of France. Yeah, I would too, yeah. I can just see myself sitting on the beach drinking a cocktail. Watching a movie. Watching a movie. And they do movies on the beach. That's cool. Um, yeah, so the, the main selections tend to be pretty high, bro. But there's also a lot of other screenings going on um, kind of adjacent to the festival um, that will show things like Mad Max Fury Road. So that was a film that was played out of competition mm-hmm. at cons. So was Inside Out. Um, there's also the uh, director's Fortnite section. That is another parallel stream. And uh, Anurai Kashyap has shown a lot of his films there. And his latest, Psycho Raman, will be playing uh, Rega this year. Raman Rega 2.0, right? Yeah. yeah. That, that looks... I watched the little first look thing, which uh, came up a couple days ago. And I'm looking forward to the trailer. But... Is Nawazuddin Siddiqui just walking around beating the shit out of people with a tire iron? Because it's, it's unclear as to what's going on, but I do want to find out. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that film. I it do looks also like it might be say, kind of funny, which would be weird for Cash Yep. Yeah. I do have to also say, um, oh, there's also short film competitions. <clears throat> I don't know much about the short film competitions. Um, but I also want to add that one of my biggest pet peeves, and you see this all the time on Wikipedia, is when people say that like such and such film was nominated for the Palme d'Or or nominated for the Camera d'Or. Camera d'Or is um, the award that goes to the a filmmaker for his first feature film. Mm. Um, his so, or her, but usually his. Yeah, so Steve McQueen won for Hunger. Mm. Um, the fellow who made Atajinouette also won last year the man who made rams won anyways um you're not nominated for these awards your se- your films are selected to play in certain competitions oh yeah it's, it's <laughs> is it a short list they're in competition for the award they're not nominated yeah they're, i hate they're, that it's like they're shortlisted for an award they're not like nomination would mean putting it forth to be in contention which all of them would be Everyone has nominated their movies to... Well, exactly. Cons, right? All 20 are nominated. Yeah. You know, and they... So, I... I it's like I, saying that a, you know, a certain actor was you know, nominated for the uh, Golden Globe. Just because they were eligible. Because, because they were in the running. Yeah. So, it's a bit of a, a pet peeve of mine. I mean, certainly the selection process um, at cons is pretty pretty vigorous i would imagine they get many films submitted and they're trying mm-hmm. to only pick la crème de la crème amelie was rejected from cons hmm. well i know that's a sticking point for you amelie generally so well it it's it's just interesting and this is um for a lot of film critics and international film fans the first word that it's the first time many people are seeing these films and it's the first word on what is going to be like in the circuit, yeah. in the art house theater for the was next there year. Last year, so was Love, right? Yeah, Love. And there's a lot played. of people. The Lobster played. There's a lot of you hear either like 15 minutes standing ovation, which sounds absurd. You would how sore would your hands be after having a 15 minute? Yeah. Uh, or complete audience getting up and leaving, which is much more prestigious, I think, because Gaspar Noe does that all the time. And you know, if you could p- piss off an entire audience of the most jaded film critics in the world. You're probably doing something right, at least. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of kind of horror stories. I know Adam McGoin uh, talked about how a lot of his films have been really panned <laughs> after mm-hmm. he's shown them at cons, and how that has really kind of hurt. And, you know, but like a, I hear like, the brown bunny didn't go over well. <laughs> but, like, an outright pan at cons is also its own sort of publicity, too. Like, oh, yeah. Look what these dorks didn't like. Exactly. So, Yeah. But let's let's steer this back towards the Hindi cinema angle. Yes. So this is to stave off any criticism right now. These are not Bollywood films. We're, we would consider all of these parallel cinema, wouldn't you? I I think so. <clears throat> it's kind of a nebulous distinction sometimes when you get into a Sanjay Lila Bansali or a uh, Anurag Kashyap. Sorry, Matt. I'm just going to quickly find. Point out that I don't believe Siano Sono did show Tokyo Tribes at cons. Well, that lends further credence to my deeply held suspicion that Cons Film Fest is mostly just for <laughs> nerds because uh, Tokyo Tribes was a super cool movie for badasses like me. It might have played at TIFF. TIFF has a like their Midnight Madness stream that shows a lot more of those kind of crazy genre films. Oh, wow. That's probably exactly what I was thinking. Sorry, cons. You're not all nerds. Please invite us. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, but as we were saying, 
these films aren't necessarily Bollywood movies. They're in Hindi, and mm. two of them were produced and distributed by Bollywood film companies. Like YRF and Phantom? Yes. Phantom! <laughs> but they're not, they don't feel or act like Bollywood cinema. So what you're saying is this is the first episode of Parallel Cinemas for Lovers. Yeah. We're going to need a new theme song, I think. It doesn't really have the same ring, does it? No, but, you know, we could find some sort of somber song that we could mm-hmm. input, maybe. But we did want to talk about these films, partly because it's interesting to us how countries and cinema presents itself on this stage and the style of film that is accepted. Mm-hmm. And also because Andrew Keshep's there and we love everything he does. We do. Yes, we do. And so this is a bit of a departure, but mm-hmm. it's our podcast, so who cares? Parallel cinema is for lovers. <laughs> And all the three of these films are very dark. They don't feature as much of kind of the fun, entertaining song and dance tropes. That are in some Bollywood movies. That are in some Bollywood movies that I think, you know, a lot of fans of Bollywood cinema uh, gravitate towards that style of, you know, exciting action, Mm -hmm. sweeping romance, song and dance, the stuff that we... Love about Bollywood. So how do you think these three movies would fare against something like uh, Talash, which with Karina Kapoor, Amir Khan, which we watched a few months ago, which deals with similarly, you know, tough subject matter, but maybe is done in a more slick way? Yeah, there's a kind of clear, independent aesthetic within these films. Um, As much as I hate that because I really dislike the term kind of like indie films definitely with uh, Titley and uh, Masson I think Miss Lovely has a bit more of a film lovers or like a calculated aesthetic it's not as cinema verite yeah but it also has like a very different mode than you know kind of your glossy studio production you know Mm -hmm. you're in kind of on location sets, um, so they're not as much sets as, like, not studio sets, but kind of mm-hmm. uh, location shooting. Um, and, you know, they just, they, the shots and obviously the stories all feel very different. And the main goal of these films is not to entertain you, to divert you, it's not escapism, but to move you in, I would say, more difficult ways. Mm-hmm. It certainly, again, projects a much more cynical view of the, of, uh, the especially the urban places mm-hmm. than we get in a lot of other movies. Even, I would say, Kashyap's Ugly, mm-hmm. which had a bit more of a production to it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Most I- of these were shot with, you know, natural light even. Yeah. Day for, not even day for night photography. Like, just... Whatever they could get at the time, mm-hmm. so I think maybe it's it's not a it's not a skill distinction, but it is a, a feeling, a mode, and it's yeah, a, these an are a, definitely verite. Yeah, it's an aesthetic. I mean, art films have an aesthetic in the same way that you know, kind of science fiction films and musical films, etc. Um, it I, I would almost say it's just as much of a genre as anything else. This has been another episode of Vocabulary Corner because we're going to put some notes for in the for you in the uh, notes here. But uh, yeah, we're we're throwing all kinds of lingo at you today. Yeah. So why don't we uh, get into Miss Lovely from 2012? It's directed by Ashim Aliwalia. He had previously presented a feature-length documentary, John and Jane, at TIFF in 2005, but this is his first kind of feature-length narrative film and you said he was kind of like a art like an art world guy right yeah yeah that was the impression i was getting uh, kind of reading into him he works outside of the bollywood system so i'd say of all three of these films this is the one that has the most tenuous relationship with bollywood in that it doesn't really have one at all yeah um it started out as a documentary about the kind of sleazy filmmaking, C-grade filmmaking scene, underground filmmaking scene in Mumbai in the 1980s. So a lot of, like, exploitation films and pornography. Or monster pornography. <laughs> yes, monster pornography. Um, but a lot of the subjects who that Awalia 
interviewed for the project didn't want to appear on camera for fear of being arrested. It is still sense, illegal yeah. in India to make pornography. As we learn quite distinctively throughout the film. Yeah. Do you want to set up the plot of this, Matt? Sure. Well, Nawazuddin Siddiqui plays Sonu. And uh, him and his brother, Vicky, played by Anil George, uh, run a small, pretty sleazy operation making essentially monster pornography. As far as we can tell from the movies, there is a sort of... Well, the brief snippets we get of them, there's a kind of monster attacking young women, seducing mm-hmm. them, that kind of thing. Very giallo. Yeah, giallo-y and then also kind of... You know, witchcraft movies. Mm-hmm. There seems to be a bit of that. I know that the censor board in India, when this was submitted, initially asked for like 150 cuts. And for a year, they argued, and Awalia got them down to just four. And I wonder if, I don't know what those four cuts are, but I wonder if in those four cuts, you saw a bit more of the films that they are actually making yeah and that was like one of my favorite parts of the movie is just the attention to aesthetics Mm -hmm. on something that you know most people would want to forget Mm -hmm. Uh, anyway nawazuddin i'm just gonna call him nawaz forever because he's the best love that guy he falls in love with a girl named pinky played by nakarika singh and he approaches her about making a movie together called miss lovely Mm -hmm. And essentially kind of mortgages his friendship slash relationship with his brother and their whole society, rips off a bunch of money, and tries to get this film put together. Uh, Pinky, as we find out, might be a bit less of an ingenue than we thought. She might also mm-hmm. have some connections in this world. And not a lot of great things happen to the characters in this film. No, this is... A bleak film, though not as bleak as one of the films that we're going to discuss in this episode. Well, it's it's if you if, if you remember from one of our earlier films, uh, one of our earlier episodes uh, when we talked about the dirty picture, mm. when Silk in that movie reached her absolute lowest point, I think that is the point at which Miss Lovely takes off. <laughs> yeah, uh, where she's basically stuck in like a drug den and people are shooting pornography, and she almost goes for it, but then runs away. This is the entire world yeah. of Miss Lovely. Yeah, so if you love that, you know, check this one out. <laughs> I really liked this film. I would say of the three movies, it has the most style. It has a really interesting aesthetic. It really tries to put you in the place of this kind of seedy world. But it's really it's it's inventive mm. and it's colorful and it's simultaneously attractive and off-putting it's not gritty but it's got this kind of lurid veneer to everything yeah um for what's obviously a pretty low budget production they did a great job in getting interesting locations to shoot in mm-hmm. uh the sort of grimy props and interesting looking actors to and, play, uh, you know, set designers, that kind of thing, and clothes, and yeah. even you know the technology, all the cars, everything really does look like the mid '80s to early '90s or so. VCRs, mm-hmm. every uh, the attention to detail on the way those movies would look, and it, it, I, especially the opening credits as well. Very, very cool. So cool. It's very. Um, I you know I said this while we watched. You didn't agree with me, but it did remind me of Peter Strickland. Um, who made the Duke of Burgundy and um, Barbarian Sound Studio, just completely subsuming oneself into making the Ur picture of a type and using the visual iconography to, you know, riff on trashy culture. Yeah, I I guess I see, like, it does have something in common with the kind of um, work that Strickland is doing. Um, but as like a parallel aesthetic, I didn't quite see it. Yeah. And thematically they're dealing with different things, but yeah, it, but I do see like that it interest does, it in does try low to grade cinema. Yeah. It does try to replicate Z grade cinema of a certain era. Yeah. And it's interesting to note that, uh, they use the original makeup artists and set designers from these sleazy films in the 1980s. And so, you know, they have the people there who 
made these films. So of course they kind of get that veneer correct. And I think that's really, that's really clever to, to put you in that world, you know, obviously it's a dramatization and this is fictional and, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not the 1980s anymore, but to put you there to go straight to the source and not try and glamorize it, but show it for what it was. Um, yeah, I think early on in the like beginning of the movie, they're still shooting on film, the two brothers, mm-hmm. and it really does do a good job of making the movies, in quotes, that they are making look like they're on film, look like they have been run through a projector many, many times, they're all beat to shit. And then later on, once uh, VHS enters the picture, the whole movie does take out a bit more of a blanched out tone that matches a movie that maybe has... The tracking set too high, something like that. Yeah, it, like it, it kind it, of switches to a video aesthetic. Yeah, and it's subtle, but it's very cool. Yeah, it is. And I would say of all the films, this one, Miss Lovely, has the most impressive camera work. Mm-hmm. Like There's some Scorsese following people around clubs. There's, there's some cool shots here. Good. Uh, there's a chase scene as uh, cops are breaking up a shoot. Uh, yeah, there's... Some interesting stuff. It has the most vibrant color palette. Oh, for sure. Well, the other ones are basically trying to replicate reality. So yeah, it this one being a little bit left of center of reality, it, it has some other things. Yeah, there's a there's a sense of artifice, partly because I think we're supposed to understand the artificiality of this world and the people in it. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could probably call it the Indian Boogie Nights or something, but not quite as uh, well, candy coated. I guess. But you'd if say. you think of like. Gangs of Wasepur as the Indian godfather mm-hmm. and how you go from like kind of, you know, soft focus veneer of streets of New York and mm-hmm. to, you know, this scrap metal fight yeah. in this small town. Uh, I think you are having an equivalent thing from Boogie, Boogie Nights to Miss Lovely. You well, know? this could also be the Indian equivalent to Wonderland, which is... For a studio feature film, is incredibly dark. Yeah, I don't think you've seen it, but it's yeah, no, it's I watched it very with you. good. Uh, yeah, great date night. We watched Wonderland. It's a <laughs> that's the movie about John, John Holmes, Holmes and yeah. the the murder uh, that he was essentially wrapped up in. John Holmes, the poem's porn star, yeah. played by Val Kilmer, probably the last great Val Kilmer movie if it came out after oh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I love his uh, cameo in Palo Alto. Yeah. We are but that throwing, doesn't really count as a Valcomerville. We are throwing the references <laughs> fast and furious today here, folks. But uh, if you want some seedy, sad movies, <laughs> we, we've got the ticket for you. And I really liked seeing this world and this subject matter because this is something that, you know, while I'm already familiar with a lot of the kind of stories around the, you know, around B film studios and the horror and pornography film scene in North America. So, you know, documentaries like Inside Deep Throat, films like Boogie Nights, and, you know, even um, Not Quite Hollywood on Ozploitation. This aspect of Indian filmmaking, from what I understand, is really poorly documented Mm -hmm. because it's still illegal to make pornography there. Yeah. Um, We also, on Record Store Day, I bought uh, the Bollywood Bloodbath Mm -hmm. uh, compilation from finders keepers and reading the liner notes it it almost seems like some of the films that they took uh, songs from uh might have even been at this level of Mm. uh like monster movie so i really want to investigate some of those see if we can get them with subs and maybe watch them for a halloween episode who knows it might be a pipe dream but that i i I just love that era of any uh film uh culture italian movies from the 70s yeah you know the really grimy shit <laughs> yeah here on bollywood is for lovers we love the really grimy shit no this parallel cinema is for lovers <laughs> all right sorry here on well yeah that's that's a lot more apt yeah um overall what was your impression of this film i liked it i thought nawazadine siddiqui um so this movie more than the others is kind of pitched as a I'm going to hesitate to say it, but maybe as a Shakespearean tragedy almost. Mm. It's it's a guy who falls in love with a girl and doesn't realize that he's being played the entire time. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he's kind of dreaming. It, it does remind of some gangster movies where there is a similar plot device of not a dumb guy, but a guy who 
will in all likelihood never rise out of his station trying to get a girl who's the next level up and being completely ground up in the process. Uh, Siddiqui is amazing. Um, he does a great job of being the kind of henpecked, put-upon, low guy that, you know, he goes on to play in uh, The Lunchbox in a much more cheerful film. But he also um, can be violent and have, Mm -hmm. you know, do dark deeds. And he plays both of those extremes really nicely. Um, Everyone else was good as well. Uh, Anil George playing Vicky was a intriguing villain. Um, He... He, he lets on more. He he doesn't let on very much as to what's going on behind his eyes. But mm-hmm. you know, there's he's got other things in the in the hopper all the time. And this film really sticks the ending. Yeah, excellent ending. This you know the kind of the last didn't 10 see it coming at all. Or or even just like five minutes of this film, I think are phenomenal. Well, I, yeah, I, I didn't. I had no idea where this was going, yeah. and that's always a, a pleasure because. We've talked about it before, but I can see a lot of uh, odd plot twists coming. But in this one, it was, you know, I didn't realize the scope that they were going for. Yeah, and I mean, it, it certainly leaves you with a rather nihilistic feeling. But I think one that the film earns mm-hmm. and one that, you know, has some impact. Unlike Tintley, which <laughs> Ooh, we wow. will discuss. Oh, boy. After our interval. Yeah, so what song do we have for interval today? Well, we didn't have a lot to pick from with these films because the focus of these films is not the music. I loved Miss Lovely. No, I liked Miss Lovely. But had there been a monster pornography-themed dance sequence, there's a brief dance sequence near the end of the movie, but had they just completely broken kayfabe and gone and did a completely out-of-nowhere dance sequence... I would have adored this movie. Yeah, and I as just, it is, I liked it. But had they gone for it, that would yeah. have been awesome. Yeah, and I just I don't think that the they're not going to, that that's obviously. a mode that they're yeah. going to because again, like this is really outside of the Hollywood system. Yeah, but you know, um, if you're listening, Ahualia, you know, if you want to capture this one, Lotter's heart, just out of nowhere dance sequence, and then completely back to gritty reality. Love it. <laughs> okay. Um, but we have picked a song from Masson. It is Man Kasuri. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty lovely. So Miss Lovely. No, it's from Masson. I know. I was just saying lovely. All right. Okay, we'll 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 be back after the break with Parallel Cinema is for Lovers. So that was Mancasteri from Masson, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about Masson in about 15 minutes, as it's the most recent film of the three we're looking at today. But for now, we're going to talk about Titley. So Titley, which we watched yesterday, um, after watching the sun. So kind of a bummer day all around, let's say. Yeah, I am curious, Matt, after watching these three films and also uh, all the other movies you've seen that have come out of the Cannes Film Festival, which have been many, mm-hmm. uh, would you ever want to go? I mean, at the top of the show, you were saying you'd like to go, but would you really want to sit through like 11 days worth of I guess this I've... many movies that like yeah. are downers? I guess the closest... Uh... Real life example I've been to a film festival would be Dead Fest, the uh, horror movie festival we have here in town. And I like attending it. I've never sat through all the movies of it. Mm-hmm. And if we went to cons, let's say in a hypothetical scenario that our podcast is huge and they invite us to go just as the new wave of film criticism. Okay. I think that, you know, I don't think everyone, I don't think anyone is able to watch all the movies there. Mm-hmm. The judges have, but they've had you know a year to work up to it. No one there, well, not quite a year, but yeah, yeah. No one there who is kind of reporting for Variety or Hollywood Reporter or whatever film publication, Film Comment, those kind of people. 
they, you know, will pick and choose what they're going to see. And based on the buzz, they'll try and watch what's coming out. And I think, Or they're assigned films. Or they're assigned, yeah. yeah. And I think if we chose our film choices, you know, intelligently, we would probably be focusing on Indian cinema if we went, right? Sure. Yeah, in this hypothetical situation. The like, one or two Indian films that play. Like, I, I think that the potential for watching a bunch of bummer movies would be offset by being in the beautiful south of France. Oh, okay. Like, if, if this had been the Moscow Film Festival, for instance, the less than amazing weather and <laughs> things in that part of the world might detract. I would be interested to see what Berlin Alley is like. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, you sure. know, Berlin seems to be an amazing city as well. But it's not the south of France. Yeah, most major international film festivals I would like to go to. But I also sometimes wonder if, you know, it would just... If it would just be so mentally and emotionally exhausting that it would start to feel like a punishment rather than, uh, you know, an exciting time. But I guess that's kind of like... We've been to Comic-Con a couple times. Yeah, that was just And that's exactly how I feel about Comic-Con. I was going to say, we we did Comic-Con, what, two or three times? This is the big one in, in San Diego, the... The creme de la creme of uh, comics-based culture. And, I mean, I don't think... If we're at cons, there isn't quite the same sort of dealer floor. There's not as, as many people trying to hockey things. Hopefully people have showered more often than they do at Comic-Con. But, like, it it can be a very grueling experience, but it's one that you remember all the time. Yeah. Like, I, I would not, you know, give up the idea of going to Comic-Con for the world. It was amazing. Yeah. It's very exciting to be in a place that's run on pure excitement. And just to be in cons where the only thing that's happening is movies would be amazing. Yeah, to be surrounded by that many cinephiles. Yeah, Sundance, Tribeca, TIFF, all these things. I would love to go see them. Fantasia. Love to get out to Fantasia sometime. Telluride. Like, the idea of um, an entire festival devoted to one of my favorite leisure activities would be astounding. Yeah. So, regardless of the... You know, depressing content of the films. I think that I could suck it up and enjoy the ride. Yeah, I think the world aspect also really appeals to me as someone who, you know, when I talk about film and I talk about movies, I'm not just talking about Hollywood movies. Obviously, because I have a podcast about Bollywood, but I... Well, on your other podcasts, you often do movies outside of the Hollywood studio system as well. Like, um, you guys are not beholden to the North American tradition of talking about just Hollywood movies. Mm -hmm. So, you know... Uh, I know that you're a wide-ranging film goer. Yeah, and I think it'd be important to find, you know, those palate cleansers because, mm-hmm. as we're about to get to, some of these movies, I think, can really, really bring you down. Well, it might also, you know, something that is only slightly depressing as opposed to nihilistic world-ending depressing might seem all the more joyful for having been. That's probably why people like Xavier Dolan those things because, you know, while he is a <laughs> hack... His movies don't make you that depressing. The depressed, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Xavier Dolan being the wonderkind film director out of uh, out of Canada, whose one film I saw turned me off of him forever. I think his latest is actually playing. Um, but why don't you describe Titley for us? A movie that, uh, that we've been building up to and essentially trying to avoid talking about. Sure. I mean, this movie is not garbage. It's not no. a uh, poorly made film. It's just... Um, a very deeply cynical and sad-making movie. Tilly, which came out in 2014, was directed by Kinda Bell and produced by Yat Raj Films, of all things. Which, you know, I saw that familiar title screen before the movie, and I'm completely baffled as to how this works. It's like seeing the DreamWorks animation uh, logo before a Gaspar Noe movie or something like it it is weird for something that's typically known for bombastic romance mm-hmm. to be releasing this movie, but you know they they bought the rights to it and they wanted to maybe expand their horizons some. And well, you should have seen the Yashraj logo come up before Grace of Monaco, the biopic starring Nicole Kidman. It was very strange to see Uday Chopra's name on a Nicole Kidman film, which is also a film that played uh, cons out of competition and opened the festival and was panned. It's it, you know these these logos these uh, title sequences they do kind of you know 
They grow on you, especially Dharma Productions and Phantom. Those are my two favorites. Well, yeah, as, and I think as soon as I see those, I know I'm in for some good shit. And I think you kind <laughs> of you develop like a Pavlovian response where you like expect something else to come after. Like every time the HBO logo comes up, I expect like inherently gonna, expect it to be, be the wire, right? No, I inherently expect it to be followed by the sounds of the Sex and the City theme song. Oh, yeah. Because I watch so much Sex and the City. That See, I always think it's going to be the wire. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like Yash Rash coming up and then the movie that preceded it seemed really yeah, where the, where the hell is Rook? He's not in this. <laughs> no. Anyway, uh, Tiddly. <laughs> Enough screwing around. But uh, yeah, so it stars Shashank Aurora as Tiddly, who is the Again, put upon younger brother in mm-hmm. a brotherly um, business. But this time, they are essentially car thieves. It's unclear as to what they do most of the time. Terrible car thieves. But we've, we see a few instances in which they're stealing cars and essentially getting roughed up by people higher above them on the totem pole of crime. These guys are about as low rent of criminals as you could possibly get. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway... His older brothers are Vikram, played by Ranveer Shori, and uh, Pradeep, played by Emmet Sia. And they, yeah, essentially uh, hooligans for hire. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see them steal a car <laughs> by menacing the driver with a hammer and smashing the window out, which, you know, in my many, many, many years of playing Grand Theft Auto, I know that if you fuck up the window... It's not going to be great when you take it to the docks and try to sell it to the Russians. Like, they're not going to get a lot back for that car, regardless. But they, they, yeah, they're they're what we're to understand is that they're not great at this. And earlier on, I was kind of thinking, hmm, this, maybe this is kind of a Trailer Park Boys vibe or kind of a uh, Killer Joe. Like, are we supposed to kind of feel for these guys or at least kind of wonder as to their stupidity behind their process? <laughs> But uh, as the film wears on, we definitely don't, uh, they're not appealing. Tilly, um, Tilly is the main character and he does have an ambition, which, uh, you know, is, is admirable. You, you always want your main character in a movie to want to do something, want to better themselves or get away. And that's exactly what he wants to do. Titley wants to get uh, 300,000 uh, rupees together and buy himself a commission at a new mall that's going up. If he gets this commission, he can be in charge of the parking garage and he'll take the cut of, a cut of the, the money coming in as people park at the new mall. Which, you know, easily enough, right? Mm-hmm. $300,000? No, that's a ton of money. And early on, he has scrimped and saved and maybe ripped a little bit off of his family to do so. But... During the course of a car robbery, uh, they get picked up by the cops who aren't even wearing cop uniforms for most of it. It's tough to tell, like, is that guy a sergeant? The guy Mm -hmm. who essentially debriefs them afterwards. It's really tough to tell the difference between him and a gangster later on. But I gather that's probably the point. Um, But the cops do rip off Titley's 300,000 rupees. Mm -hmm. And he's back to less than square one. Um, in an attempt to kind of make some more money slash deal with, uh, some problems in the family, Titley is married off to a girl named Nilu, who, as it turns out, is actually only marrying him briefly so that she can end up with her cousin, Prince, who is a wealthy builder. He's working on a housing complex and... We get into a little bit of a, a part, the apartment type scenario where um, Tiddly is driving Neela around mm-hmm. so she can hook up with Prince. Then he drives her home. It, you know, he's, he's driving to and from the apartment. It's not him owning the apartment because his house is a piece of garbage. But a situation erupts where Vikram needs more money than normal and the already stressed bonds of this family begin to break even more. And yeah. The way out of this is not clear, and it is not pretty. No. Um, Tilly is a, you know, a depressing movie, but I think it's well made. It's just not something I'd ever really want to watch again. It was, there's only so long you can look at, you know, humanity at some of its darkest point and really even care. <laughs> it's not really a, it's not really a movie at a certain point. It's essentially poverty pornography. Exactly. Like, I really did not 
like this movie to be to be perfectly blunt like but there's a difference between not liking a movie and respecting it as a like a work of art yeah i didn't at all i i really felt that i'm not someone who needs their protagonists to be likable mm-hmm. in a work of art in a film or a book that's I'm good not, for all three of these movies yeah these movies. um i'm not someone who needs a film to be uplifting, to be mm-hmm. happy, to, you know, I need it to be engaging. I need it to be interesting and I need to make it do something, whether or not it entertains me, delights me or moves me, makes you think, makes you think like whatever I needed to do something. And this film did nothing for me. I honestly thought that it was just, you know, depressing for depression's sake it's all about kind of toxic masculinity and how cruel men can be. And I know how cruel men can be. I don't need... You live with me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not quite. But like, I don't need two hours of, you know, daddy problems and brother problems. It just... Yeah, I mean, we really watched... You just watched uh, Civil War. I don't know how much more that you need. I mean, I guess what sets this movie apart from, say, a documentary about people living in absolute poverty in um, modern-day India is that, you know, this ostensibly has a, you know, a thriller narrative, a kind of noir narrative. It's trying – it's noir in that it is, you know, pointed at people in absolute dire straits trying to get out. That's the classic noir archetype. Yeah. It's, it's not shot like a noir movie. No. Yeah, it, Ugly is shot like a noir movie, but mm-hmm. uh, this one doesn't have the visual similarities of noir, but it does have the nihilistic trying to escape the city, uh, using the city as a uh, playground for violence, that kind of thing. But, like, this, but this could easily ab- be a stage play. It, like, it doesn't really need all the trappings of being a film to get its point across that things are shitty. Like, you could just make a documentary about how things are shitty. You don't really need to make a movie about this. But I don't I thought, know what it brought to the conversation. Well, exactly. I thought everyone and everything in this film was irredeemable, mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest. And you know what's crazy to me? What? Uh, the director based this film uh, in part on his own life and the issues he had with his brothers and his father. Yikes. And the actor playing the father here in this film is his father. Oh, wow. Well, and he's, he's like he's the, the most monstrous of them all. Yeah, he's the worst guy in the whole movie. I, I mean, I guess it doesn't surprise me that a director had potentially a problematic, you know, adolescence. Well, I'm and, glad he got out of that. Yeah, and fueled that into a film. But it surprises me that then you also put your dad in the movie and, you know, like painted such a bleak picture. Man, that's almost like if Bam Margera made a movie or something. Just a completely fucked up family relationship. Yeah, and I just, like, I really struggle with seeing what this film brought to the table. Like, I just, I, and I like art cinema, but mm-hmm. I didn't, and I like, you know, socio, socio-realist films. Um, I mean, this isn't the act of killing. No. Which is, you know... Arguably, no, not arguably, a much more depressing situation that the people find themselves in. It's a documentary, but it goes about telling a story that is very simple. Sure, there was a there was a genocide, but it does it in a really, really interesting way, and it uses the medium of cinema to do this. Whereas this could have been a YouTube series or something. Like it, it doesn't it doesn't use cinema in a way to yeah. make this traditional story that. Uh, interesting. Yeah, like it's entirely handheld cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think there was really anything interesting or remarkable about the filmmaking. I mean, it's interesting it's, location photography. Like, sure. They've, they picked suitably uh, bad places where everyone meets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it does have a very, very Tay aesthetic, which mm-hmm. I can't say... That that aesthetic is, you know, one that I gravitate towards. Like I can put it in context, and I want to when I watch those documentaries from the '60s that developed cinema verite. 
Um, I do have respect for them, and I find them very interesting. But this is also not, you know, neorealism or something. No, it's not. It's, it's just it's, pointless sadness. It's just it's just a cruel film. Yeah. It's irredeemable. Everything in it is irredeemable. Every character is irredeemable, and you just—I I really it doesn't have felt... that extra spark to make all this redeemable, irredeemable stuff worth watching. Well, yeah, I just—I don't think the film really has a point. Mm-hmm. Well, it—it it poses a simple question of: if you lived in a really terrible part of the world and you had no money, what would your life be like? Oh, it would suck. There you get. I got it. I could have. It's a thought experiment. Yeah. So, yeah, it's. It's definitely not something to seek out. If you're into the realist um, mode and you like crime narratives that are not really about the crime, it's just what would a bunch of terrible people do to each other if they were next to each other for a period of time? Yeah. it, it To me, it read more like a, a stage play. Mm-hmm. It didn't really need to be a movie in its current form. Mm-hmm. Well, Masson, on the other hand, uh, I would say, you know, is equally depressing in places. Well, it, but Masson meaning crematorium, it does take place literally among the cast of people whose job it is to burn bodies. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was an infinitely better film. Oh, yeah. Masson was excellent. Yeah, Masson is an excellent film. Uh, and that's where we got the song for this episode of Parallel Cinemas for Lovers. Yes. Uh, the title means crematorium. Mm-hmm. Um, as we've mentioned, it's about uh, the the cremate cremators. Yeah, um, the social cast of people who live at the Got. Yeah, they do. You know, cremate bodies, cremating bodies, and there's also religious ceremonies there along the banks of the Ganges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was directed by Niraj Gawan. He assisted Anurag Kashyap on Gangs of Wasipur and Ugly. And Anurag Kashyap's production company, Phantom, produced and distributed this film. Phantom. Sorry, I just keep talking about the um, logo sequence for Phantom because it's adorable. Uh, it won the FIP Rescue Prize. The nice. FIP Rescue Prize. Uh, and the Promising Future Prize uh, last year at Cannes. So it's, well done. Yeah, yeah. Critics have, have really... Notice that this is something special. It follows four individuals in Varsani who are all in this social cast mm-hmm. of these cremators. Um, Richa Chada plays Debbie Pathak, uh, who is a young woman. She's a student who has a sexual encounter with a fellow student that goes extremely south. Being about as bad as you can get. I mean, Maybe there's something about Mary is <laughs> as bad for a Hollywood one, especially when he gets his uh, Frank and Beans stuck in the zipper. That's pretty bad. But, uh, yeah, you, I don't know if you could get a much worse uh, first sexual encounter than this. No. Uh, we just say? Her, yeah. Her boyfriend, well, the man that she's meeting uh, kills himself after cops show up. And yeah. And she's being blackmailed by the head detective. Yeah, so her and her fellow student, they kind of, they go to this hotel room and... Um, she changes her clothes halfway there, so I was wondering, like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. Gotta change her clothes, but uh, once you realize what she's up to, like, oh, okay. Yeah, and so and so they have this rendezvous, and then the cops break down their door, and he goes into the bathroom and commit suicide Mm -hmm. and then she is blackmailed by the cops because they take a video that they threaten to post online and she and they threaten to throw in jail as like assisting in his suicide yeah there there is a charge that she could be um brought in on for you know being present at a suicide and not helping save him i guess yeah. Even though that there was like six cops there too, but that's the Well, way and it even works. though yeah. the reason he committed suicide was because they were bullying him. Yeah. Um, and so the film starts out on this very bleak note. Yeah, it's um, a hell of an opener. <laughs> it is. And then she is, throughout the film, deals with kind of the grief, social stigma, of as someone well who as. She didn't really know either. No, not really. I mean, she really liked him. She but... learns about him over the course of the movie. Yeah, she. She wanted to have sex because she wanted to have sex because she was horny. She wanted to try it. Yeah. And so, you know, both this and Miss Lovely, I think, have really interesting things to say about um, sexual oppression in India. Mm -hmm. And so she spends, you know, the film dealing with her guilt, her grief, 
the social stigma, you know, because people in her college kind of find out what happens. And so she has to change jobs and someone at her new job knows about this and she has to change again. And interestingly, compared to Titley, uh, they're on the hook for what, three lakhs? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, which is the amount of money that Titley's able to scratch together twice over the course of his movie. But in this part of India, getting that kind of money is pretty tough to do. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're living on the Gat and not making that much. Because mm-hmm. I think her father makes something like 5000 yeah. a month. Which, yeah, it, it seems insurmountable to get this amount of money. And unlike the other two films in this episode, actually has something to say about women. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Her father is played by Sanjay Mishra, and uh, he is also one of the other characters that we follow around, and he is dealing with his daughter being ransomed. Yeah, I guess we should say that Blackmailed. She, she definitely moves away from him, and like he finds himself without his only family member left. Yeah. Yeah, and so, and he's, you know, struggling to get by, he's a former professor. He has a shop on the go. Yeah, he's trying to get the money together. And he develops a relationship with Jonta, mm-hmm. uh, played by Nikhil Sanhi, who is this orphan who hangs around the Ghats and who wants to participate in this strange gambling practice where they throw coins into the river and then you bet on young boys who swim down and pick them up and whoever gets the most coins, you can you know double your money. Yeah. And uh, Jonta kind of doesn't have a family and really befriends this older man. And you kind of see over the course of the film their, their kind of difficult relationship become, you know, kind of... They bond together and they, and they mm-hmm. come closer together. And then the last character in the film is uh, Deepak Chattery, played by Vicky Koshal, who is the son of one of the other cremators. And he is... And he works there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he helps out. And he is working towards getting his engineering degree and is trying to date a girl of a higher caste, but is unsure if her and her family will accept him because of where he comes from. And they have, like, it's quite a beautiful love story. That I mean, Centered on poetry, yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful love story, but don't get too attached uh, to it. But this film, it I mean, it's very much about poverty, mm-hmm. about... Death. Death. Yeah, it has a lot to say about death, but it ends... The acceptance of your lot in life. Mm-hmm. Or trying to escape it, just, yeah. But it moved to, moves towards, I think, a really kind of peaceful and spiritual ending that really kind of signals a sense of hope. Mm-hmm. And so you go through, you know, I think what is, you know, a rather bleak film. But on the other end of it, you come away with a feeling. You come away elevated. It's also really interesting to see this, uh, this lifestyle of people living down by the banks of the Ganges. Yeah. Just, uh, you know... Funerary rituals. Um, I didn't know that you know, after burning a body, you had to smash the uh, skull because mm-hmm. it doesn't always burn. And I'm pretty sure we saw actual bodies being burned. I don't think there were any special effects being used. So, like, I don't know. It was. It's just interesting to see how other cultures deal with death. Yeah. And this movie, I I think, is by virtue of having three, maybe four main characters. Jonta's not a huge character in the grand scheme of things, but it's it's interesting to see different uh, takes on problems that uh, everyone faces in their lives. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to Tilly, where, sure, people are poor, but some of the situations that they essentially get themselves worked into are pretty uncommon or not really believable. Yeah, I mean, Titley, in my mind, doesn't seem to have a single human emotion in it, mm-hmm. whereas Masan is all human emotions. Like I, I, this movie really moved me, um, and it really impressed me. I think the camera work here is lovely. I think the cinematography is beautiful. It's great nighttime stuff. Great uh, looks at this uh, train bridge that overlooks yeah. the Ganges and purports to go to a much better place, and people are always looking at it, and that's really well done. Uh, There's lots a of haziness great, to it. Yeah, haziness and also use of the fire of these uh, funerary flames. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, very, very interesting. Liked it a lot. And if you, it feels like it's about people and about 
the experiences that people have and the feelings that you go through in life when you, you know, you're under the thumb of a system that you're trying to get out of mm-hmm. and the difficulty of doing so, the difficult relationships we have with our parents, with facing where we come from and mm-hmm. finding a sense of acceptance. And it's a really unique story, I think a unique setting for a film. It It is, um, I mean, the idea of a cop blackmailing a woman with her burgeoning sexuality caught on tape I mean, that's the sort of thing that in a Bollywood movie, Salman Khan will come in and yeah. beat the crap out of that guy. But to see a normal person having to deal with this problem, it's really interesting because, you know, you wonder how you would deal with it. Mm-hmm. And this film, I mean, I think it really, what Titley doesn't that this film does, and I think also Miss Lovely does, is bring out a sense of empathy. You empathize with this situation and these people and they're not always good people mm-hmm. they don't always do the right thing they're not heroic but they're people mm-hmm. and i think that is one of the big strengths of this film i think it's my favorite out of all three of them because it really like it really got to me i really felt moved yeah i think i liked miss lovely better because i'm always there for the artifice of a movie about movies i always really right. like that but Masan is really good as well um yeah, it's really well paced. It's got an excellent script, and I think all the beats, you know, are really there. I think uh, Niraj Gawan could be, you know, someone worth watching. And the acting here is excellent. Yeah, yeah, everyone's very good. Yeah, it's really good all around. I mean, I I didn't find anything wrong with the acting in Tiddly. It's just the it's a bit of a contrived situation. Mm-hmm. So, of all three of these, which one would you recommend the most? Well, for our normal listeners, I think I'd recommend Miss Lovely. Um, it, it features Nwazine Siddiqui, who, miles away from his performance in Kick, is, you know, it, it, an actor... He wasn't... Oh, no, he wasn't He was, the, he was yeah. the villain in Kick, yeah. Sorry, I was thinking for a second uh, about Randy Puda's character. No, no. Yeah. He, I mean, his, uh, he's a guy who can do any sort of movie you want. And if you want a bravura performance from an actor who, beloved by us for his other roles, you know, Miss Lovey's well worth seeking out. It it really evokes a time period in an interesting way, and uh, Masson would be my second choice. Yeah, I'd really recommend Masson. I think uh, I think it goes down a little bit easier than Miss Lovely. I think if you're interested in kind of like exploitation aesthetics. Um, and that style of filmmaking and kind of like, you know, seedy urban neo-noirs, then, you mm-hmm. know, Miss Lovely's really interesting film. But I think I took more away from Masson. I think that, you know, that ability to make you empathize with these people on the other side of the world and the experiences that they're going through and to show you a way of life that is worlds apart from you and that you can still kind of feel for this situation. I think that's incredible. I mean, that's yeah. that's what cinema can do at its finest. It might have a bit of a harder edge than movies that are typically sent in for the foreign film category at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. But it is... It, I mean, it, if you like something like The Lunchbox, where it's a story that you know transcends national borders, it, yeah. it's something you could enjoy regardless. And it's it's not something you need to be interested in a certain sort of film history to get into like yeah you you could conceivably show your mom a song for instance my mom might like it i don't know <laughs> um she doesn't like a lot of movies but uh who knows maybe she liked this one she liked the lunchbox so everyone likes the lunchbox yeah it's a great movie <laughs> all right well i think that gets us to the end of this episode of parallel cinema is for lovers yeah uh, thank you for this detour away from Bollywood and towards Indian art house cinema. Uh, we will be returning to Bollywood next episode. Basically by means almost offered to us by Miss Lovely. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, we will be joined by our good friend, Alan Mott, to discuss Canadian porn star turned Bollywood actress, Sunny Leon. Yeah, and Alan is a very, very uh, learned scholar of exploitation movies 
And I, I, w- I would like to see what he thinks of Miss Lovely, actually. Just that sort of off-the-beaten-path, uh, Z-grade type movie, mm-hmm. he's an excellent uh, source of knowledge for. And I think bringing him on to talk about Sonny Leone will be interesting. Like, he'll, he'll be able to provide some light on other aspects of the film industry, I think. Yeah, and he's already been coming up with a thesis for the episode. I'm really looking well, forward to hearing do, so. what he has to say. How professional. We'll be looking at two films in which she plays a double role. So Ek Pali Lila and the recent uh, sex comedy Mastizad. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what a Bollywood sex comedy looks like. Apart from the fact that it's not going to have any nudity. It's mostly just yeah. going to be all the hilarious jokes of uh, uh, American Pie... But without those gross boobies. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. There's a scene in which Sunny Leon teaches you how to wash balls. Like mm. basketballs and tennis balls. But well, I've been waiting my whole balls. life to see that, and I guess I will. <laughs> yes. In the meantime, Matt, how can people keep up with the show? Well, as I discussed at the top of the episode, you can uh, send us a tweet at, uh, at BollywoodPod. You can also find me on Twitter at Matt underscore B-O-W-E-S. And you can find you on Twitter. Yes, at Aaron E. Fraser, E-R-N-E-F-R-A-S-C-R. We keep forgetting to do this, but Aaron has another highly rated, wonderful uh, podcast that if you like this one, I suggest you check out called Trash Art in the Movies. And can you describe that for us? Yes, it's a podcast I do weekly with Paul Matwichek, where we take a high art film and a low art film that have something in common. We discuss them, and then we declare a victor. And so we just released an episode on Robert Altman's Gosford Park and the 80s cult classic Clue. And we'll have an episode coming up on uh, two two gay films about... uh, Interrogating masculinity, so we're looking at William Friedkin's Cruising and Ang Lee's Brokeback Mountain. Um, We also did an episode on Gagini once, so there's that there too. (laughs) Yeah, so yeah, check that out if you like our show. I think you'd probably get something out of Trash Art in the Movies as well. You can find Bollywood is for Lovers at bollywoodisforlovers.tumblr.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at our new Audio Boom page where... We've been going pretty well. We also have a Facebook page, so go on over there. Yeah, just search it on Facebook. Give us a like. Let us know what you think of the show. And if you are a fan of the show, consider leaving us a review on iTunes. It really helps new people discover the show, boosts us up in those podcast rankings, and we'll read it out on air. And if you're uh, in another country, please let us know um, through one of the communication spaces we've given you as uh we can't always see reviews on other countries itunes stores yeah it's it's a little bit annoying but uh if you do just let us know yes and we will be back in two weeks thank you for listening to parallel cinema is for lovers